Welcome to episode 9 of the Riding the Pine podcast. Somehow they continue to let us do this week after week. We have a pretty good show for you guys today. We don't have any Houston guys on the show, so it's already a better show than we had last week. Stick around. You gotta love those little digs at uh, Parker Ray. I am joined again by Brendan Snow. Every single week, we ride the bench together. We're in here. We're grinding every day. We're getting. We get in here. We get the show done. We put it out for y'all. Going through some good content. A lot of Texas State stuff, national stuff, heating up, fun stuff. I will say this though: Texas State men's basketball has been tragically bad. So we're probably not going to talk too much about that. It's been. It's just been tough. They've lost four straight games. Five of the last six, and. I sound like a broken record. Every single week we say, hey, the uh, offense hasn't figured it out yet. Do you want to do it or should I? Hey, the offense hasn't figured it out yet. It's still so hard to be... I know know we want to blame the offense and be upset with that, but still, yes, they've lost four in a row, five of the last six, and you take out that Louisiana game. doesn't count. Just take it out. The four straight games they've lost, they've lost by two, lost by three, lost by two, lost by four, one by one. That's five straight games all settled by fewer than four points. That's that's still pretty insane. There's just, you know, earlier in the year, they're on the other side of those close wins, and now their luck kind of has fallen down a little bit, and they're on the wrong side of it. So what would you, what do you attest it to? It, I mean, it's still going to come down to the offense, but I, I think we put a little bit too much blame on that than anything else, because obviously we put the most pressure on that because that's where it's, that's been the biggest problem, but I think there have been some other underlying problems within. So what's the underlying problem within? Because I can't think of any. That's that's what it is right now. It's like if I could come up with something that was like the underlying problem, so I wouldn't, I couldn't blame Danny Casper's uh, offense anymore. I would, I would use it. But I mean, this is where we are right now. The only reason that I think that these that Texas State plays so closely with a lot of these teams is because the other teams just get tired of being, you know, attacked. Every time they come on the offensive side, defensively, this team is one of the best defensive teams in the nation. The numbers don't really show it, but I think this is one of the best teams in the nation, defensively. Offensively, like I said again, you can go to San Marcos High School and see a better offense run. Yeah, and I mean, after this, you know, the last UTA game when they lost 70-68 to in overtime this past Saturday, the offense looked great when they had their two best offensive players playing well. Trey Nottingham, a career-high 24 points. He knocks down six three-pointers. And Nigel puts up 18 points and gets 10, assist, 10 rebounds on his own. That, I don't know what more you can ask for in that situation, for this game at least. But other games, yes. If you could have games like this, obviously not going to get Nottingham scoring 20-plus every night. But if you can get Pearson and Nottingham, you know, 15 to 20 range at least. And then someone else chip in with 10 points. Because their third leading score was Eric Terry with 8. And then Tyler Blunt with 7. You know? Counterpoint, this team took 63 shots. Trey Nottingham, Nigel Pearson took 38 of them. So over half the shots these two players took. I don't know. I don't feel great about that. That's not something I'm super excited about. Yeah, I mean, what, your starting center, Emmanuel King, takes just one shot and goes 0 of 4 from the free throw line. Tyler Blunt, 3 of 7 for 7 points. Alex Peacock scores just 2 points. Uh, 0 for 3 from the field. Both of his points came from the free throw line. Uh, Tried to see Isaiah Gurley get some more time, but he only put up 3 points. Nedja, just 2 points in his 20 minutes. I don't know what else these guys can give you. I, I really don't. I know I, everyone seems like 
this is their cap. I don't see where their limits can go. Well, with that being said, let's look at the rest of the Sun Belt. The way that the rest of the Sun Belt teams have been doing these past couple weeks. We look at men's basketball, Louisiana, Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, 11-1, Georgia State, 10-3, Georgia Southern, 7-6, UTA 7-6, Texas State 7-6. Five games left in the season. I don't see how any of those teams jump up and catch Louisiana, do you? I don't the other the only other thing I can think of is if Texas State does really, really, really well, they're able to jump up in there and get the two seed. But I do you see this being like a three way tie for the three seed and just like winner winner head to head really breaks it up? Well, we'll get some clarity in these next uh, these last five games because these games come against Louisiana and then you get ULM. In the last three games of the season at home, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, UTA, bang, those are the you know the two, three, four seeds that you're fighting with right there. I think I think that they can beat all three of those teams. I do, however, think that this losing streak jumps up to six. I think that you lose to Louisiana. I think you might lose to ULM too. If, if it goes to six, then I think you're really in trouble because that's not where you want to be heading into this last home stretch. Yes, the Louisiana game, I'm worried about. You know, I'm not going to. I already pick, chalked it up to a loss. Yeah, I just drew an L right there. Especially going into uh, the Cajun Dome, that's going to be extremely tough one to pull out. But ULM, yes, they struggled with them at home last time uh, when they beat them here by, I believe, just two points. But they know they're a much better team than ULM, and I, you know, hopefully they'll play like it if they play well on Thursday, get some momentum going into Saturday, and make it a four-game win streak going uh, into the Sun Belt tournament. Do you think they have good food in Lafayette? I'm sure they like do. Like good Cajun food? I think that'd be a really good road trip that, to make. Yeah, my, my family's actually kind of around from that area. It's like the nearest major city from where they're from in the Eunice area. Okay. is it? I think I might make that road trip one day to go to Lafayette and just try to catch one of these games and eat really good Cajun food. On the other side of the card, Texas State women's basketball, their streak of four straight wins was snapped. They ended up losing in overtime to UTA. Uh, I make fun of Alex uh, Gibbs, but, you know, he's actually was correct. What happens when the rest of the team doesn't score? We got that. Taylor Deere had a really good game. She was able to get 15 on 6 of 18 shooting with uh, dishing out 10 assists. Of course, Tasha Levitt and the rest of the team had a pretty bad shooting night. 34% from the field, 15% from behind the arc. This team only scored a couple points in overtime. So when it gets to overtime, I don't like the way this team plays. I don't, I don't think that they are a very good overtime team. What do you think? Uh, I'm not gonna, I can't blame overtime on anything when you look at the box score and you see them shoot 33.8% from the field, 15.4% on three, shooting four of 26, and 52.4% from the free throw line. You go 11 of 21 from the line in a game that you lose by two. Just We've seen Texas State dominate so many teams because they shot so well. This was probably their worst shooting for performance of the season all around. Yeah, you can chalk this up to free throw shooting, I feel like. I never like to blame a game singly on free throws, but yeah, when you miss 10 of them, you shoot about 50%. It's Free throws are pretty much one of the main factors. This has been such a good free throw shooting team, too. It's a, really, it's a shame that that's how the game kind of went, how that, that's the reason that this team loses. And I want to kind of ask you this question. Rebecca Van Dyke has been arguably one of the best players in the Sunbelt Conference for a long time, since, pretty much since she's come in the game. She's a six-foot-plus scorer. She has 20 points, nine rebounds. Do Texas State do a good job? Of keeping her kind of down, can't say that when player goes. She thought she shot nine of twelve from the field. You know, was able to get to her spot, score how she wanted, put up twenty. We uh, got to watch her dominate in the women's game. If you stuck stuck around watching men's game, you saw Kevin Hervey put up a season high thirty three in the men's game. So UTA, they got some good players over there, and it came down to you know their best players against our best players and uh, Texas State's players in both situations. Well, maybe a little bit in the men's, but in the women's, they didn't show up. 
you know, we always talk about Deer and Levitt being the two best players. When they combine for 24 points and... That's usually what you get just out of one of them. Yeah, and shoot three of, you know, 13 from the three-point line and nine of of 32 from the field. Yeah, you're not going to win. I don't expect the women games to really win any games like that. So do you see this is just like a bad game? They're going to bounce back pretty quickly? Yeah, I don't think it's anything to freak out about. I think it was just more of a bad shooting game. And, and think about it. That's how poorly they shot, and they lost by two in overtime. You know, it, you, you gave me those box numbers. I thought they'd get blown out the gym. I still think that Texas State might be the team to beat in the Sunbelt Conference. What do you think? I, I really do feel like this is a team that when they hit the right stride, when they go into the rest of the Sunbelt Conference, that they're going to be a force to reckon with, whether they're the one seed or the two seed. Uh, de- definitely, I still want to see how they fare against uh, that Little Rock team that has been dominating so f- all season long and beat them earlier this year. I'd like to see you know that matchup again. But definitely, teams don't want to aren't going to want to play Texas State. None of these teams are going to want to play the Bobcats going uh, into the Sun Belt Conference tournament. I think you know they'll be they'll be favored in the rest of their games pretty much for the rest of the way out and for most of the tournament. Little Rock, of course, eleven and, or I'm sorry, twelve and one. Texas State nine and four. So they're right there, knocking on the door. Of course, the three seeds, South Alabama, Troy, Louisiana, all sitting at eight and four. So they're just right behind Texas State too. Do you think that they're going to kind of split up? You think uh, they're going to move away from the rest of the pack? Yeah, I think they're going to go ahead and uh, secure that two seed for sure. They've proven that they're going to do it. They're, once again, their schedule. Unlike the men's side and the women's side, the two Georgia scores, schools aren't very good, and they're going to have to still come in San Marcos. So you hope those be two wins, and then you know take at least one of those Louisiana games. You know you go three and two over the last five. You you secure that number two uh, seed and a first round bye. Baseball is just around the corner. How do you feel about it? Yeah, getting a little excited for baseball. I was at the uh, softball complex. You know this past weekend for some of the some of the uh, Bobcat Classic. I saw the baseball team walking out. You know I saw Jo and. Uh, all those guys. It was good. Good to be, you know, right next to them. See them. Got me excited. Uh, a lot of baseball talks. MLB heating up, so it makes me want to be closer to baseball. Uh, pretty excited for that. Friday opening up with Oklahoma State. Now I know that you're on the Friday show, so you guys are probably going to get the biggest, like, uh, kind of talk about what to expect from this team, how you expect the team's going to fare. I kind of want to save that all for you guys on Bobcat Radio. I do, however, want to get a sneak peek. How do you think this team's going to fare? I think they have a high ceiling, but I also think they have a pretty low floor. See, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like the pitching didn't show up last year. They ended up one game under 500. And the pitching we understood last year. The pitching was young, but and there were some, you know, some of those guys were promising. But how much, you know, are they going to approve? Because it, it, it's it's people like to think it's a guarantee. Oh, it's a young team that will be better next year. It's not a guarantee that the young team will be better. No, no, no. no. We've seen young teams be bad for four years. Yeah, youth is a uh, youth is a nice excuse to be made uh, for young teams, but you know if they don't get better, they're just a bad team. Yeah, so, so you know, hopefully, you know, this uh, Nicholas Fraze and Wes Engel, uh, Connor Reich, all these pitchers have you know now in their second, third years, they're able to pick it up and keep it going on the mound because I think the offense will be fine. We saw it last year; the offense did pretty great. They pretty much lose just uh, one starter, Teddy Hoffman, but pretty much the whole rest of that starting nine returns minus him. It's just going to come down to the pitching and, like I said, high ceiling, low floor because they could dominate some teams and then but it... There's a lot of games last year that ended up like 9-7, 8-5 type of games. That, to me, that would make me nervous. So if you're 
your pitchers are giving up five runs, six runs, seven runs in games, that ERA, that team ERA needs to hover right around four, I think, for this team to have a good shot at uh, making a run in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Yeah, uh, really, that sounds fair. Uh, They're going to have a bunch of different guys out there trying to make things happen. It's just who's going to show up on what night and against who. That is that's a good point. Now, women or softball has kind of done the opposite. They've been the dominant ones for a very long stretch of uh, our time that we've been watching uh, Texas State softball. This team won a whole lot of games last year. I want to say forty-one plus games last season. Do you see them kind of repeating? Do you think that this is a team that's going to come out and have another very you know stellar season? Yeah, and I think it's going to be pretty similar to. To last season, did I'm sorry, 42 and 17 last season. Yeah, I think it's gonna be pretty similar to last season. It's uh, almost sounds like the same as you know the basketballs. They're great on defense. You know, pitching Randy Rupp, one of the uh, best in the nation, but they struggle to hit you know the score runs and hit the ball. Uh, I was calling that Florida State game on Friday, and they scored just two runs, and both of them came off of uh, Haley Davis solo home runs. She had two two of her own, and the offense only driven a couple hits. Uh, they came back in Sam Houston, you know, the two Sam Houston games, they scored just three runs, and they scored just three runs again, but they win both of them. They win 3-0, they win 3-2, they play Florida State again, they lose 8 to nothing, and that was the only game Randy Rupp did not pitch in. She pitched in the first three games, did not pitch in that fourth game, and they lose 8 nothing. So, is this team going to be able to win without Rupp on the mound? And that's kind of what, <clears throat> we talked about that a lot on Bobcat Radio Day, about how, like, is, is where, how far do we go? I Personally, I think you ride Randy Rupp until her arm falls off. I know that's kind of harsh to say, but you don't have a whole lot of other pitching. We haven't seen a whole lot of other pitching. Like, and I know it's early in the season. We don't really, you know, whatever know what everybody has yet. But just going off history, you kind of just have to ride Rupp and see how far we can get with her. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, you lost your two next two best pitchers from last You're two year. Two and three. And, You're two well, and three. Well, in last year the. Also, you know, they felt comfortable putting Quincy Charleston out there and Jody Page Williams out there for a couple of innings before a game and getting Rupp some time off. But now we don't even we don't even know who that second and third pitcher was. I was, you know, at that Florida State game, I was saying, hey, who's the other pitcher for this team? No, because <laughs> Rupp pitched 14 innings in those two wins. You can't be ha- you can't be doing that all the time. Yeah, we finally we finally didn't see a different pitcher until that eight uh, nothing Florida State loss. We saw you know Krista Jacobs and Megan King uh, combined for that game. You kind of think that they were going to keep her up out there until she lost. When she did lose, they said, okay, fine, you can get some time off now. But if I, I honestly do feel if that Florida State game goes, instead of 4-2, say it goes like 2-1 Texas State victory, I think they throw her out there again against Florida State, don't you? Yeah, and uh, personally, I think early, earlier in the season, I'd love to see them get some of those other players in so you can work things out. These games don't matter as much and what. In softball, you just said their record. They play nearly 60 games, so you have... You know, you have time until the Sun Belt Conference to get ready for that for those games that matter. So hopefully, you know, in this, I don't know, this non-conference schedule slate, slate and all these classics and tournaments they're playing on the road this next month, they can figure out something else to get some uh, pitching depth behind her. I don't know if they figured it out, Brendan. I think that we're not going to see them actually get like a rotation really moving until maybe the Sun Belt Conference, maybe a couple of games before the Sun Belt Conference actually starts up. Uh, Ricky Woodard, though, of course, one of the best coaches at Texas State. We say this about every single team, but I, I feel like we don't stress it enough. With uh, I feel Cat Connor, but Ricky Woodard. One, though, one day we're gonna, we'll come out with our uh, Texas State coaching power rankings. We'll have to. That's actually not a bad idea for next show. We might actually have to do that. So tune into the podcast. That's going to be the big I, X. I'll tell you right now, Coach Chisholm's number one. 
There's no doubt. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Don't don't give anything <laughs> else away though. That's gonna be Riding the Pine X though, because that'll be our tenth episode. Ooh. I want to talk a little bit about what we we've kind of seen so far with you know Texas State sports. We're kind of moving into the spring. It's really cold outside. If you haven't been outside, this entire week is really cold. Uh, we say that, but I've kind of been wearing the same thing since like November. Uh, I went to my eight a.m. I had my extra leather jacket on. I was not messing with it. I I do not blame <laughs> you at all. But with it being cold, we kind of need to talk about somebody that has kind of been getting a cold shoulder. We're moving a little bit more into the NBA because you know that's our favorite topic. Isaiah Thomas got a really uh kind of a cold exit from Boston. Really cold exit from Cleveland. Warm embrace in the city of Angels, Los Angeles, where he ends up facing. Your Dallas Mavericks to start his career off as a Laker, correct? Yep. I thought he had a good game. I thought the Lakers not looking too great. Not not a great look. Uh, yeah, they gave up 130 points to the Mavericks in that game. So and the Mavericks that, are not a very dominant offensive team. No, not at all. Uh, but yeah, Isaiah Thomas definitely come in and looked. He, he looked a little bit like more like the old Isaiah Thomas. You know, he's getting to a shot, getting to his spot, and knocking him down. I think. He's just Isaiah Thomas is a West Coast guy. He went to Washington, started in Sacramento, spent some time in Phoenix until he got sent across the country to Boston. But I mean, in Boston, he was a top four finisher in the MVP vote. So yeah, and definitely, you know, a lot of people like to credit that to Brad Stevens, to Brad Stevens yeah. in that system. I'm in between on that because yes, you know, coaches do have they have these systems, they work, they do much, but still, the player has to make the shot. So when Isaiah Thomas is in Cleveland, I'm like, you know, I don't think it's I don't I don't think just because he's not in that system, he's not he can't shoot anymore. You know, maybe he just wasn't comfortable at Cleveland. Maybe he can figure out something over there in L.A. And, you know, I, I, I never had a problem. I say Thomas, nice player, cool story. Short guy, in the, you know, shortest guy in the, class, in the class, the hip injury, all that stuff last year. I didn't like how Boston kind of did him and just got rid of him like that. I think, okay, I had an issue with that, too. As a Celtics fan, I had an issue with that, too, with Isaiah Thomas leaving. Uh, I kind of was like, but you remembered that I was the first person to be like, hey, this is actually a really good trade. We, the Celtics actually, you know, they made the right move getting Kyrie Irving. Because Kyrie Irving, I was always like, hey, this is a pretty pretty solid player. Now, I'm like, he might be the best point guard in the East. Like, it, it, the debate that he was the best point guard in the East this year, I feel like it's an open and closed book. Like, he is the best point guard in the Eastern Conference this season. Isaiah Thomas, you cannot say the same. Yeah, and Boston had to, they had to get a real superstar if they wanted a chance to win the win the finals against Golden State or, you know, at least get to the finals, get past Cleveland uh, and LeBron James. You have to have a superstar like that. And taking one from his team, from LeBron's team, makes a lot of sense. Uh, A lot of people right now, because we're going to get right into this, the other night the Celtics end up getting wiped off the floor. They, They got their clocks cleaned against the Cleveland Cavaliers. On the night that Paul Pierce's jersey retired, pause, you ruined Paul Pierce for me with all of your anti-Paul Pierce uh, rhetoric, all everything that you've said about Paul Pierce. I now cannot watch any of his highlights, any of his games. I love watching old NBA games. Every time I watch an old NBA game, I'm like, you know, Paul Pierce is kind of a bum. So anyway, Cavs end up beating the Celtics. And now everybody thinks that the Cavs are going to win the finals. They're like, I think Nick Wright said today that this is the best. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Chris Carter said today that this is the best Cleveland team that they've had uh, since LeBron got there. Maybe ever. This might be the best Cleveland Cavaliers team ever after these trades. Who's the second best player on that team? Kevin Love when he comes, when he comes back. <laughs> Who's the best player right now? I, I can't even give you a clear second best player right That's now. That's what I'm saying. Because uh, so I'm, I'm not going to pick any of the new guys yet. I don't know how good this team is. I don't understand why we're giving. We're just handing them the Eastern Conference crown. 
People are sleeping on Toronto. Toronto right now is first in the Eastern Conference. You know, Boston had a bad they had a bad night. Nothing more, nothing less. Cleveland, we still don't know how good they're gonna be. Rodney Hood, George Hill, Kevin Love, you know. But I don't know, I don't know. But here's here's the difference. The Cavs, they traded away, you know, a lot of veterans and stuff. Like D-Wade, apparently he was bad in the locker room. Isaiah Thomas was bad in the locker room. And they brought in some younger, I mean, everyone's playing a younger player other than George Hill. But players that are, players that are hungry, players that want, a, you know, a chance to, on a good team to win. George, yeah, Hill, George, Larry, Hill, George Hill was playing on Sacramento. Larry Nance is Nance, such a hungry player. Nance and Clarkson have been playing an L.A. team that hasn't won, what, 34 games yet with them to do there. So this is their first time getting to play with a, a real team. A playoff team. Yeah, a playoff team. And I think... You know, that's going to play a factor into how they play uh, for the whole season. I will say that, though, because in 2016, that Cleveland Cavaliers team that came back 3-1 on the 73-win Warriors that had the only unanimous MVP ever, all those guys were hungry. J.R. Smith, Amon Shumpert, Channing Frye, and, all those guys. And we hear about it all the time, you know, the uh, the championship hangover that teams have. And, yeah, the Cavs didn't win last year, but what? Those guys, J.R. Smith and stuff, they've been three straight years. Maybe, you know, maybe they're tired. Maybe, they're, you know, their mind's starting to... Wander, Wander off. off, yeah. I mean, that that's what happens. Now we're going to move on to our favorite part of the show, the pick em. Last week, Parker Ray, I said he would go 5-0. and I was incorrect. He went 3-2. and There was a couple games, though, that he... Two, two of those games came down to the wire. He did pretty good, though, the, job picking. The uh, Michigan State-Purdue game came down to the Miles Bridges uh, buzzer beater. The And the uh, Nets and Pelicans game went, what, double overtime? Yep, double overtime. So he came pretty close. He came pretty close to going 4-1, and one, which would be better than anything we've done. So now I have the ones Tuesday, Cleveland at Oklahoma City. The new look Cleveland team versus this Oklahoma City team that looks pretty fierce. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I don't want to. I'm not trying to put too much stock in the Cleveland right now with the break coming up this weekend on the road at OKC. I'm, I'm gonna go with the Thunder. This is one of those picks. I hope I'm wrong though. I'm gonna pick the Thunder. Tuesday again, number two Virginia at number twenty-five Miami. Virginia just lost to Virginia Tech. They did, and Miami has uh, a couple of good players over there. I can't remember one of their names. But they definitely have a lottery pick. I keep I keep hearing about. Uh, I'm still gonna stick with Virginia. I like like their team, like their style. They're you know old defense gritted out. I think uh, Coach Tony Bennett pulls it out. Wednesday, number 24 Kentucky at number eight Auburn. A little SEC action for you, LSU fan. You. Yeah, you sent me that, and I had to read it about 45 times, wondering when did Auburn get into the top 10 <laughs> in basketball. It really threw me off, and. As much as the inside of me always wants to pick Kentucky, I'm going to go with uh, Auburn. So right now you've picked all three home teams. That, that's no more you're supposed to do. Very <laughs> safe pick. Saturday, number one, Villanova at number five, Xavier. Nova's on the road? Nova is on the road playing at Xavier. That'd be an interesting one. I'm, I'll, I'll go with Nova, though, to keep protecting. Okay. Take the road team in this one. Okay. And then Sunday, of course. This is the one everybody's been waiting for. Team LeBron or Team Curry? Because there's really no home team because they're both in the Staples Center. It's gonna be a kind of a it's gonna be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I haven't paid much attention. I know LeBron's roster has completely changed. He's what, suffered about four injuries and had to get a bunch of new players. Just about, yep. But I'm, I'm still leaning uh, Team LeBron. Really? Yeah. Even with uh, the new additions of Kimba, Dragic, uh, Andre Drummond, I think they'll be all right. Bunch of I I'm still really salty that Ben Simmons hasn't got in because he was too that well yeah no Ben Simmons is such a good player like he's a playoff like 76ers are a playoff team this is his rookie season he clearly is the him and Joel Embiid are clearly the game changers for this team 
you wouldn't think that the 76ers team is a playoff team if you took either one of them away. Like, right now, a lot of people want to argue, oh, and Bede over Simmons, Simmons over Bede. I think they're equally important. I think that this is, reminds me a lot of the uh, young Thunder team when it was Durant and Westbrook, and we really didn't know who was, like, the better player. I think that's kind of where it is right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, personally, I've got to say- I've, I've been liking 76, not liking, but like past couple of years, I was like, you know, 76 was turning around. I like I liked the Embiid pick. You know why? I liked when they had Nerlens. You know why you like them? I love it when they got Ben Simmons, went to my school. You know why you like them? It's because they were a team that was worse than the Mavs. <laughs> no, this was like, I don't know, maybe three years ago, me and my buddy Efren, who's a big uh, Mavs fan, we both said, like, hey, we need to pick a new team that we can uh, mutually agree, uh, cheer for, because that's the only team we both agree for is the Mavericks and other sports he's Chicago mm. but for basketball he's Dallas and I was like 76 years on the come up you know trust the process and now we're here so <laughs> at least I pride in that. the Kings that's a tough one I, I feel like we were we both root for the 76ers though I feel like that's a really I think everybody can just root for those stories yeah no, I don't know how you could hate the 76ers at all I can hate Philadelphia <laughs> you can you can Real quick, I wanted to mention it earlier when you were talking about it. Did you see, you know, at Paul Pierce's uh, retirement celebration and all that? You saw Doc there. You saw Rondo there. You saw KG there. You didn't see Ray Allen. Did you hear where he was? No, where was Ray Allen? He was golfing with George Lopez. I think Ray <laughs> Allen won. I think he actually had a better night. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just found that interesting. I just saw that on a on an article scrolling through Twitter earlier, and I was like, wait a minute, really? I didn't even realize Ray Allen was in there. I forgot, oh, I forgot about no, that. no, I noticed right away. Because if you look at those guys, Paul Pierce still has his hair. Rondo still has his hair. I miss those shiny domes of KG, Doc, and uh, Ray Allen. So uh, he noticed Ray Allen wasn't there. Uh, personally, you know, he probably was the best player on that team in the 2010 uh, NBA Finals. So you you ruined it for the, me. There, Paul, was, there were so many Paul Pierce memes and stuff coming out during that. Oh, it was hilarious. So, someone said he should have came out in a wheelchair or having KG and Ray Allen carrying him. You ruined it for me. You know Paul Pierce wasn't the best player on his team pretty much from 08 on. Like, that is just crazy. Like, I knew KG was, like, a great player, but he l- really probably should have been the finals MVP. It's, it's unbelievable. That's going to do it for us here at Riding the Pine. You're going to want to listen to all of the Riding the Pine podcasts on the Texas State Student SoundCloud or on the KTSW blog where we have great Texas State sports stories and features. And, of course, Bobcat Radio is always posted on there. Or you can listen live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 to noon. Get off the bench and get out there. Thanks, guys.